17 minutes it is before the uh, top of uh, uh, the hour and uh, we now shift to our uh, business uh, conversations of the day and uh, we are taking a look at uh, uh, the uh, story of Goldman Sachs here which uh, earlier on today said that they're going to be expanding their offering here in South Africa and uh, of course aimed at really giving access throughout the entire continent to capital markets to a wide array of uh, um, uh, markets here in uh, the continent and uh, including fixed income products, uh, foreign, foreign exchange and South African government securities and uh, all of these are going to be offered to corporate and institutional investors here in South Africa. And many of us would recall, of course, this is the uh, entity uh, that uh, one Colin Coleman leads here in South Africa and uh, you would remember that he was very, 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 um, I guess, vociferous in his support for Cyril Ramaphosa and uh, arguing there that, of course, uh, if indeed uh, he is given much greater uh, 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 or a much uh, better showing at the polls there, that uh, that would mean, uh, uh, I guess, a much better political space to undertake some of the reforms uh, that uh, many people have suggested are needed to get the economy going once again. I'm joined on the line to talk about this story and, of course, uh, Donald Trump signing an executive order to stop U.S. companies from working with uh, or alongside Huawei or with the equipment made uh, by a Chinese firm Huawei. And uh, that is Zuela Kim Guni, Chief Investment Officer at Benguela Global Fund. Managers. Good evening, Aya. Good evening to your listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Zulaka, maybe I want us to uh, start off here before we get into the story of Goldman Sachs. Start off here with uh, Trump. And uh, we, we do know that uh, the, he, this is the guy. Uh, he tweets one day and markets move in all manner of directions. And it seems yesterday now uh, signing an executive order and uh, continuing uh, his, uh, I guess, uh, charge against not only the U.S., but of course some of the, uh, the uh, uh, Beijing, I should rather say, uh, but also some of the entities uh, that are coming out of China. And this time around Huawei, and we would recall that uh, one of the uh, leaders within Huawei uh, had been arrested at some point towards the end of last year. Yeah, look, uh, I think Trump is continuing with his uh, campaign to basically uh, apply pressure on China. Uh, I think that there are two sides to this uh, story. First is that uh, China had been in the past uh, a bit unfair in terms of forcing companies that were coming from other countries to basically share their technologies with locals without any patent, uh, honoring any patent uh, laws. Uh, and I think that, that, that was uh, the beginning of the story. But I think... The secondary reason is that, I mean, the U.S. is losing competitiveness relative to countries like China. So many years ago, if you go to the uh, 30s to the 60s, the U.S. was basically the industrial hub of the world. And over time, they lost that to China, uh, particularly from the early 80s, uh, on the basis of low cost of production in, uh, in China. So that they've come to a point where China is basically now no longer just a, a, a contract producer. China is trying to step up on the value chain by coming up to the innovation level and design uh, of things like technology. And as we know, things like these uh, technologies that we're talking about, they are quite useful in defense uh, systems, weapons, and all those things. Mm. And by allowing China to have that uh, capability uh, where they can transmit data at lightning speed. I think uh, the U.S. is fearing that uh, element. So what I'm saying is there's a valid uh, complaint about the patent laws, 
but there's also an element of using that as a basis to try and uh, bring or slow down China's uh, progress into the value chain. Mm. Let's let's talk briefly. I mean, Zolaki, about the potential. Um, the potential, sorry about that, uh, the uh, potential, uh, I guess, security uh, concerns and the security risks uh, that might be associated uh, with uh, Huawei, because uh, I guess that's a big chunk of what uh, Donald Trump has been saying here. Yeah, look, he's basically arguing that uh, Huawei is a proxy for the Chinese government, because normally uh, such uh, big uh, corporate champions in China they are supported uh, by the government, or at least they have some uh, working relationship, strong working relationship with the Chinese government. Uh, and as a result of that, the, the, there is suspicion that Huawei would use its technology, because now uh, what Huawei's technology would do is it would process the data. So as we speak on the uh, phone now, it might actually record those things secretly if it was Donald Trump speaking to uh, somebody else. Mm. And basically, that could be recorded. So there is that security fear, but I think it's overplayed deliberately to basically try and make sure that they don't allow Huawei to uh, access the opportunities in Europe and uh, in in the U.S. And in so doing, it maintains uh, the U.S., uh, uh, leadership in in, glo- in the global economy, but also in global technology. Mm. Now, 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 Zolak, I mean, w- what options now are open to uh, Huawei when it comes to how they would uh, respond to this uh, particular issue? Because we do know, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised if indeed the US uh, also exerts pressure on some of their own allies uh, to try and ditch uh, the equipment or even the technology of Huawei. Look, there's very little they can do in the U.S. I mean, they, uh, unless the U.S. Congress were, uh, uh, could intervene, but in this case, it's a executive order. I don't think they can intervene. And I think they're probably better off focusing in other markets while trying to uh, negotiate. Uh, and this is not really a Huawei-U.S. Uh, scenario. It's actually a U.S. China's uh, government uh, 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 battle. So they're using Huawei as a casualty uh, to basically uh, try and force the Chinese government to come back to the negotiation uh, around the trade terms. Okay. So let's pause there for a second and uh, take a brief break. And when we come back, I want us to take a look at, uh, of course, this show of confidence that uh, Goldman Sachs uh, has uh, made in South Africa, saying that they're going to expand and the air footprint, and certainly as someone who's in the fund management space, I'd love to hear from you what uh, that means uh, by way, I guess, of signaling to others uh, to come and invest in our economy. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk, and uh, I'd love to hear your perspectives as well. Let me know what you think. Give us a ring on 089-110-3377. Some throwbacks deserve a comeback, like Amakum Kajela Moonbags and even the greeting Who's It?, uh, that's why Hunters, the original cider, is on a mission to refresh cool and bring back the old school. All you've got to do is follow at Hunters Cider on Facebook and uh, share throwbacks that deserve a comeback and you could win refreshing prizes. Hunters, refreshes like nothing on earth. Drink responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18.
eight minutes it is before uh, 8 p.m. I'm in conversation with uh, the Chief Investment Officer at Benguela Global Fund Managers, and that is uh, Zuelake Mgud. Now, Zuelake, we heard earlier on today uh, Goldman Sachs Group uh, set to expand their operations in South Africa uh, after the uh, Ramaphosa victory, and of course, coming on the day uh, where the President announced uh, uh, that uh, he's certainly set to have a much slimmer cabinet. What does this mean in the bigger scheme of things, and uh, how big a signal is it uh, to try and crowd in some other investment? Look, I think it's a very positive step for Goldman Sachs uh, for South Africa. That announcement, I think, it would actually signal to other uh, foreign firms and banks that uh, South Africa is open for business, and I think it's quite positive uh, for for South Africa. But I think uh, the secondary reason is that I mean, Goldman Sachs is positioning ahead of capital flows. Uh, in and out of South Africa. So if you think that there would be capital flowing into South Africa, they would need a, a middleman to basically uh, transact and process the, the, the transactions. And I think they're just being smart by positioning uh, well ahead of others to, to basically uh, participate in that. And I don't think uh, in the past we've seen the foreign banks come in and out of South Africa uh, uh, trim their position depending on the mood and then uh, uh, come back in. So uh, I, I think it's partly uh, a signal that they support South Africa, but it's also there are commercial reasons behind it. Mm. And, and you know, when we look in particular here at uh, some of the personalities, because often, I think if we take uh, sort of a political economy approach, it's often interesting to take a look at the relationships between uh, the personalities here. We heard bef- just before the election, and uh, we even saw, I mean, the head of uh, Goldman Sachs's uh, Sub-Saharan Africa division, uh, Colin Coleman, uh, we even saw him on uh, some of the paraphernalia of the ANC and uh, suggesting that indeed uh, if all of us uh, should uh, back Cyril Ramaphosa to give enough political space for him to undertake some of these reforms. Is this part and parcel, I guess, of uh, 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 already sentiments that uh, many of us uh, uh, could have called? I, I think, I mean, the, the Colin Coleman has been, uh, I think, an open supporter of the ANC. And mm. uh, he is probably uh, one of the things that I mean, uh, Goldman Sachs has is that they, they need to go find uh, markets where they can deploy capital profitably. And I think this this would be a very easy win market. And, you know, people get paid to do these things. So by staying close to the ANC and therefore knowing what's coming, maybe he, he acted uh, ahead of that. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess so as well. Like, but I, the other big question for me is certainly uh, we do know that you know uh, the relationship between Goldman Sachs and I guess the uh, sort of uh, uh, inner circle within the presidency is not one that uh, even started at these elections. It even predates it. But and, and also uh, we would be naive to think that Colin Coleman is uh, someone who arrived late. Uh, even in his own support of the ANC, as someone who was involved in the UDF as well and USAS and that kind of thing. So, so maybe the question I'm asking is not really about his political affinities, more than what it means to have a major investment uh, house like Goldman Sachs and having their leader associated with uh, the campaign of uh, Cyril Ramaphosa in the context of a global environment where many, including Time magazine and uh, The Economist, have uh, also r- really grown an affinity. Uh, to uh, the presidency of Cyril Ramaphosa and, of course, uh, the impact he might have on whatever reform agenda? The, the only concern that one can see around that is that 
if it implies that they are able to influence policy. But I mean, that, that, that's basically how big, big business work. Uh, all over the world, they stay close to politicians and mm-hmm. basically uh, uh, use that uh, uh, proximity to, to, to either know ahead uh, of things and, and position accordingly. Uh, and I mean, could that be uh, some form of state capture, then the whole world is captured, the politicians are captured, because they don't operate in a vacuum. And these uh, uh, business people, they always, especially the big ones, they always position uh, close to, to politicians for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then the other things, well, like, I mean, uh, uh, just while we have you on the line here, which uh, I'd love to hear your perspectives on, uh, and it's quite clear the Goldman Sachs issue as a sign of uh, confidence, and for many who read the markets and uh, make uh, their investment decisions on the basis of uh, the opinion and the advice of uh, entities like Goldman Sachs are certainly a crucial turning point uh, so quickly after the elections. But uh, we had a conversation earlier on in the week about Steinoff, and uh, I do know uh, that uh, you had, uh, as a, a Benguela, uh, a case open, and I'm not sh- too sure if indeed uh, that case is still open, and uh, if you could just give us a progress update about where you are with uh, the law enforcement authorities uh, as it relates to Steinoff uh, on the back of the, the release of their results over the last week or so. Yeah, I mean, uh, the last time we had an update with the police was just before the uh, uh, the announcement by by Steinoff that they'll be releasing the financial statement, and I think the police are in possession of the PwC report that uh, uh, details exactly what happened in full. As far as do they have the full one? I don't know if it's a full one or it's a redacted one, but. I think, as far as I know, what they they were waiting for that report to basically uh, uh, get some uh, some more detail. But in our last conversation, they had already found their own evidence uh, that is actually, as we speak, one one piece of evidence is sitting in the safe of the police uh, relating to who did what and who signed off on what. So. Uh, that case is progressing, and I think that they they probably may be processing even more information from that report and basically try and progress the case as fast as possible. What they said to us was they wouldn't want to make an arrest and then uh, it gets sent back. So they, they try and push hard on in terms of all the evidence and mm. then try and close the case as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what, what do you make certainly of uh, those results that came out uh, uh, last week and uh, even, I guess, uh, the uh, environment around which they were released? I mean, uh, releases at midnight on the eve of just the elections, knowing that much of the attention wouldn't be focused on that. I think from a Benguela perspective, I mean, Stanoff has got no value and we wouldn't encourage people money to it. Mm. Uh, it's basically a big lump of liability with some assets on the side, but the value of the assets is less than the liabilities, especially if you take off things like goodwill. The, the value of the assets is much, much lower than uh, the value of uh, of the liabilities. In addition, there are all these legal cases that one, one of which Benguela is part of, uh, in terms of uh, seeking to uh, sue whoever is responsible. And I think all these things point to the fact that 
there is not going to be, if you put a rent today in Sanof, you'd probably get less than a rent out of it. Mm, mm. There's no value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, of course, uh, certainly on your end, uh, you would certainly know that experience more than anybody else, having uh, seen what has happened over the last 18 months. Yeah, I mean, we, we really doubt that there could be any value out of this. There are some good assets in, in China, but they're not enough to cover their liabilities. They've got 9 billion euros of debt. Mm. So that alone uh, tells you that uh, there is a big problem that they have to deal with. How long is the queue of uh, people or litigants here that are trying to get a piece of whatever can be salvaged from Steinoff? I think there's about three uh, litigation groups. So uh, different investors have gone with different uh, uh, litigation groups. But there's about three of them, uh, most of them in Europe. Uh, But, I mean, I think everybody uh, that has lost money is probably, or most of the people that have lost money, have participated in that. And there are bigger investors like your know, Christoph Wieses uh, and many others in Stellenbosch that have lost money that are actually having their own litigation uh, direct with, with Steinhoff. So it's a long queue and uh, it it won't be resolved uh, anytime soon. Okay. Kwabe, we'll have to leave it there, my brother. Always a pleasure to catch up with you and appreciate you taking time out to speak to us this evening. That there was uh, a chief investment officer at uh, Benguela Global Fund Managers, as well as Kim Guni, speaking to us uh, this evening here on uh, Metro FM Talk.